So today we're going to talk again about what Jesus believed, and this time about a very maybe sensitive subject for some, maybe not so much for others, and that is the subject of money, the subject of money, all right? So I want to ask you a leading question here, and we'll put it on the screen, and um, and then we'll give you some time to answer it while you watch a video, all right? I want you to name one thing and use your comment section in Facebook or YouTube. I want you to name one thing in life that does not have, does not have a direct or indirect relationship with money. One thing in life, I sent this question out early this morning because you really have to think about it, okay? And uh, while you are thinking about it, if we can go ahead and play that video about investment. Enjoy. So, Mr. Gustafson, what can we here at Capital Financial Investment and Planning do for you today? Well, I'm ready to start investing. Great. I highly recommend it. Um, specifically, I'm having a hard time nailing down exactly where I want to invest. Mm -hmm. You're not alone in that, Mr. Gustafson. That's why there are professionals like myself to help you along. Our firm has one of the highest rates of return on the market today. Cool. So what do you recommend? Actually, I would like to hear some of your ideas before I offer suggestions. In the end, you are ultimately in control here. I'm here to help you develop a strategy based on your needs, but you make all final investment decisions. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Great. So what are some areas in which you see yourself investing? Well, there are a few, um, but the one that comes to mind is the boy who shovels my driveway. The boy who shovels your driveway? Yeah, great kid. But about a month ago, his dad just left, and it's been really hard on him and his mom. I'm not sure I quite understand. Do you want to invest in snow shoveling, or how exactly would you invest? Maybe take him to a game or a movie or something like that. Maybe just spend some time with his family. See if there's a way I can help. You know, invest. Okay, Mr. Gustafson, I'm not sure you completely understand oh, what- Oh, wait. There's this guy at church. He's kind of new, but he really gets a lot out of it. But he's kind of on the fringe, you know? Like, I can tell he wants to connect with other people, but he's waiting on them to initiate. He's someone I absolutely want to invest in. Mr. Gustafson, you do know what we do here, right? Right. You help me find places to invest for my future. Right. We help you choose investments. You know, property, businesses. Oh. Well, there's this one business. Great. <clears throat> it's a place that takes care of the homeless like a shelter they offer all these other services like education and rehab. I've been thinking very seriously about volunteering there. That's a business? Of sorts. Um, it's a nonprofit organization. It's not going to offer you any returns. What do you mean? It wouldn't make you any money. Money? Yeah. But I thought you said this was about the big picture. Yes about my future, about maximizing returns. I mean, don't get me wrong, money's great and all, 
but at some point, I'm gonna die. What about after that? What do you mean after that? I mean after I die. I can't take money with me. I need something that's gonna last forever. So I hope you're bringing in your answers there. We will try to uh, post some of them for you in the stream. It's not an easy question to answer, is it? Because it has to be something that has, doesn't have a direct or indirect relationship with money. You say, well, faith doesn't have a direct or indirect. It's free to have faith. Is it? Your faith may cost you something. When you believe, it may cause you to act in a certain way that may cost you money. Hope, love. I mean, love costs you something. You, you love your spouse. How do you demonstrate that? You love your children. How do you demonstrate that, right? So when you start thinking about it, it there's a lot of things in life that have a relationship directly or indirectly with Money, all right? So we're going to talk about what Jesus believed about this subject. And it can be a little bit uh, taboo in church culture because sometimes the prevailing view out there is, well, all the church wants is your money. So here we go. We're in the end of January in the bitter cold. We're paying for Christmas on our credit cards. And here the pastor is going to come and ask us for money and make us feel guilty and so on and so on. All right. So I want you to, I want to dispel that myth and tell you that that is not what I'm going to do today. But I want to look at what did Jesus believe about this subject? Because you will find some startling things and some very relevant and some very healthy things, no matter where you're at in the spectrum about money, all right? So uh, first, an observation uh, about the life of Jesus, and I'll put it on the screen. If you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you evaluate Jesus's life, and you look at his life from a financial perspective, you see something rather startling. And that is that, it, it, in fact, Jesus didn't have any property we don't see him talk about his house or his property or his mansion or anything like that. He seems to have no accumulation of wealth and doesn't even really have much interest in it for his own personal well-being. I mean, he when he's born, uh, he, his parents are on the run. When they finally do uh, bring him to the temple as per the Mosaic law, they don't even have enough money for the recommended sacrifices that are supposed to be brought. And so they use two doves or two pigeons where they're supposed to use a lamb and a dove or a lamb and a pigeon, and they don't even have enough money for that. And you watch Jesus, and, well, maybe a case can be made that, you know, he went from relative poverty in that culture to perhaps relative middle class at best. I mean, his father was a carpenter. He probably worked in the field as well. His father drops off the scene. I mean, maybe a case can be made. In Matthew, when the wise men come, uh, they visit uh, Jesus and present Jesus with these gifts and worship Jesus in a house 
So maybe a case can be made for that. But here you have a man who essentially is an itinerant preacher. There are other people who are looking after his needs. He says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's even buried in a borrowed tomb. Now, when you compare this to other people in the Bible, like Abraham, who was very, very wealthy, or Job, who was very, very wealthy, or some of the kings, Solomon and David, who were very, very wealthy, you look and you say, well, why is there no accumulation of wealth in the case of Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh? You would think he would live in a palace or something, or he'd be extremely wealthy, and it seems he wasn't. And nowadays, when we evaluate people, we evaluate their wealth, we use this term net worth. And we look at all of the assets that the person has and all of the liabilities that the person has, and we say, well, this is a person's net worth. Well, in our terms, Jesus would have no net worth. And yet, who he was, uh, he, he was certainly rich but not rich in material resources. Paul says he who was rich became poor, rich in terms of who he is, who he was in eternity, and then stepped down, humbled himself, became a man, uh, took on human form, as it were. So it's interesting to see that Jesus himself, well, no net worth in a technical sense by our own standing, and yet... Even though that's true, Jesus very, very often used money in his teaching and in his parables. It's almost embarrassing how much he talks about it because it seems like if you do a survey of everything that Jesus talks about and every subject that he talks about, money is involved in more more than anything else. Uh, we talked about uh, um Uh, the afterlife last week. Jesus talks even more about money than he does about the afterlife. He talks more about money even than prayer and then spiritual things. He, he, he uses it quite, quite often, and it's a bit odd. Why would he do this? Why does he use this object lesson so much? I mean, if you look at the even just the parables, and I'm going to give you a list on your screen um, of the parables that relate to money in one way or another. It's pretty surprising, and I read uh, pretty well all of these this morning just in preparation for today, and uh, this will be a really good kind of Bible study for you. If you want to see what Jesus believed about money, just read these parables. It'll take a couple of months to understand them. Uh, the parable of the hidden treasure in Matthew 13 uh, Right after that, the the parable of the fine pearl, also in Matthew 13. The parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18 is the guy who's forgiven of his massive, massive amount of debt. And then he has people who owe him a tiny little amount of money, and he can't forgive them that tiny little amount of money, even though he was forgiven of so much. The parable of the workers in the vineyard, and this guy who hires people out in the vineyard uh, reminds me of what's going on in Afghanistan right now, where there's no work People are hunting for work everywhere. There's no jobs there. It's, the, the country is in a terrible, terrible state. And it's just like the parable of the vineyard. And they're out there, workers in the street, 
waiting for someone to hire them. And in that, in that parable, you have uh, the, the, the boss who hires people at different times in the day. Even in the latest hour in the day, he hires somebody. And then at the end of the day, he lines them all up. And he had agreed to, to pay them the same amount of money no matter when he hired them. And the people who worked all day, they're all upset. And they say, well, you hired this other fellow at the 11th hour. And yet I worked for you all day and you give me this one denarius, it was called. And yet this guy who worked a very, very short amount of time, you gave him the same amount as you gave me. And Jesus tells a little story about this and tries to illustrate something with this. You can read it yourself. There's the, the parable of the talents and these, these three different men, and they each were given a certain amount of money according to their abilities, and two of them invest it, and one does not out of fear and out of kind of what he thought of the boss, and you see what Jesus thinks of that. Uh, in Luke's gospel, you have the parable of the two debtors, and uh, the, uh, uh, Jesus tells his story around uh, something else it's happening where he is anointed uh, by a woman and he uses this story of the two debtors to illustrate about forgiveness. The story of the good Samaritan, which you probably all have heard at one point in your life in Luke chapter 10. The story of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. Uh, the, the cost of building the tower in Luke 14. The parable of the lost coin in Luke 15. The parable of the prodigal son, which we love, and the, 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 the man who said, I want my inheritance now from my father. And he takes the inheritance and he squanders it. And then he comes to his senses and he tries to come back to his father. And you see what happens in the story. The parable of the shrewd manager, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I mean, we'll call it a, par a parable, probably isn't, but we'll call it that. We looked at that last week when we looked at the afterlife. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. These two guys go to the temple to pray. One is an ultra-religious Pharisee. The other is a tax collector and how they pray and how God reacts to their prayers and the parable of the ten minyas, which is similar to the parable of the talents. So many of them dealing with money. Why? Well, I mean, if you tried to answer the question, you found it hard. And you found that if we're being honest, just about everything in life has a relationship either directly or indirectly with money. You can't get around it. And this, I think, is why Jesus used it so often. Because it's reality. It's where people live. It's, it's everywhere, and it's connected to everything. And so Jesus uses it quite, quite often. It was a very apt illustration of the day. But if you want to look at what Jesus believed about money, even beyond those parables, you can see it in some of the basic teaching there. And uh, the, the passage that we'll look at, which I think is the most definitive, is from Matthew chapter 6. This is a famous sermon on the mount we've referred referred to it a couple of times in this series, but listen to what Jesus says here about wealth and about money. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 24, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. Wow, quite an image there. And where thieves break in and steal. 
And the people of the time would recognize that, right? That they experienced those kinds of things. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Wow, it's very clear, very, very direct. Uh, There are two other occurrences, I think, that that summarize Jesus's views of money, and we'll revisit Matthew 6 in just a few moments. Uh, But there are two real stories of two people that Jesus ran into. And uh, this is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18 and chapter 19. Two different men, both of them, uh, both stories dealing with money, uh, but uh, both different reactions, all right? So I want you to, to observe both of these, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. And uh, this is the story of a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Jesus enters into Jericho and is passing through uh, that town. And there's a man there. We've got his name. His name is Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector, not just a tax collector, but a chief collector, and he was wealthy. Now, back then, uh, if you were a tax collector and you were, you were Jewish, you were working for Rome like this man was, you were viewed as a traitor. Because what Rome would do is they would engage these these people from within uh, the Jewish nation and from within Israel, and they would work for Rome and they would collect taxes for Rome. So you can imagine that the people were frowned upon who did this. Uh, in the uh, the streaming series, The Chosen, you see a good example of this as we see Matthew, the tax collector, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, and we see how people react to him when God uh, calls him, when Jesus calls him to be one of the disciples. So here, you don't just have a tax collector, you have a chief tax collector, and he is wealthy. His own people would view him as a traitor. His own people would look at him out of the sides of their eyes. They wouldn't want to be around him because he was an employee of Rome. He was probably getting a cut from Rome also. He probably gouged too much of his own people's money and so on. So they did not like him. And he wants to see Jesus. He wants to see who he was. But we're told that this guy is short. And uh, we don't know how tall he was. It's not measured, but he's short and short enough that he can't see over the crowd that's there who's looking at Jesus as he walks into Jericho. And so what he does is he runs ahead and he finds what they call a sycamore fig tree and he climbs up the tree. So he's quite desperate to see who Jesus is. 
He he doesn't really care. I mean, you can imagine this crowd looking at him and see, seeing this little guy run and going to climb this tree, you know, and maybe scoffing and maybe mocking and so on. And Jesus is coming that way, and he wants to get a good view. We're not told how many people are there, but it's probably a, a fairly significant crowd. And Jesus reaches the spot. So he's probably very close to Zacchaeus, who's up in that tree, and he looks up, and he addresses Zacchaeus by name, and he tells him, come down from that tree now. I must stay at your house today. I'm coming over. (laughs) I'm inviting myself into your home. Now, this would be a very stunning thing to do because, again, this man is viewed as a traitor by his own people. And here you have Jesus, the rabbi, the one who is doing all of these miracles and so on, the one who people are talking about. He's in the news. I mean, he who is he? And is he the promised Messiah and so on? He's so controversial. And yet there's, there's people following him en masse. And he, of all people, says to Zacchaeus, of all people, I'm coming over. I must stay at your house today. And so what does he do? He climbs down from the tree and he welcomes him into his house. And of course, the people see this and they start talking and they start muttering. The text says, ah, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So he's going to go and spend time with this traitor, with this turncoat person. And that, oh, I see. So this is who Jesus is then. He's going to be the guest of this sinful person. Well, Jesus doesn't seem to care what they think, and he's going to go over to his house anyway. And Zacchaeus, he he stands up, and he says to to, uh, Jesus, where it's not clear if he's even in the house yet, and he says, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, we have a word for this. This is called restitution. He's saying to Jesus, because Jesus has has responded to him, because Jesus has pointed him out, because Jesus wants to spend time with him, he says, I'm going to change. And he says, I'm going to pay it. I'm going to pay it back four times the amount if I've cheated people. I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. It's like a, almost like an Ebenezer Scrooge kind of transformation in this man's heart. And Jesus says to him today, Salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. He's not a traitor. He's a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus is very, very impressed by this man's faith and by the fact that he demonstrates his faith by action and by paying back this money and by uh, being a blessing to those who he stole from and so on. But notice that Jesus doesn't condemn the fact that he has it. Uh, He's not opposed uh, uh, to the money itself, but he's opposed to the love of that money. Uh, The apostle Paul would write later, the love of money is a root 
of all kinds of evil. Remember, Matthew chapter 6 is two masters. You've got money on the one hand, and you've got God on the other hand, and you can't, you can't serve both of those masters. They're going to be in conflict with one another. And so you see here, wow, this wealthy man turns it around and uses his wealth in a different way, and his life is transformed. Amazing. So uh, we don't see Jesus being opposed to the fact that he has it. We see him being opposed to the fact that there's this, this love of money. And this is what made this man into what he was, and yet now he changes. The second example is from uh, Luke chapter 18. And from this story, and even from uh, Luke chapter 6, which I put on the screen there as well, uh, and that's a, a Luke's uh, version of the Beatitudes, it, it, while Jesus doesn't condemn it, uh, having wealth itself, he's very careful to warn people about it, as if wealth and having a tremendous amount of possessions can be very, very dangerous to the soul. And he, he cautions against this, and he does it over and over again, especially in Luke's gospel. If you read the Beatitudes in, in Luke chapter 6, he says it this way, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Uh, Matthew would say poor in spirit. Maybe we like that a little better than Luke's rendering, but Luke goes even further and he says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. It's a warning. It's not a condemnation of wealth, but it's a warning. And you see this kind of thing from the lips of Jesus. It's not that he condemns it. It's that he warns, be very, very careful what you do with your wealth when you have wealth. It's almost like um, uh, uh, if you've seen the the uh, J.R.R. Tolkien uh, series, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, these have now been put to film. And I watched these over the holiday season, all six movies I watched, and a bit of a little marathon there. And you see in the story how uh, it's very, very clear that the, the ring... Uh, nobody can handle it, this ring of power. And it just changes people when they're in possession of this ring. It changes their character. It turns them into, into something they don't want to be. It, it makes them into something dark. Uh, you watch the Hobbit series and you see the, the dragon Smaug and his love of gold. And then you see a king possess that gold and how it starts to change him. All of that wealth turns him into this greedy, self-centered person. And you see this kind of thing from Jesus. He says, be careful. Watch it if you have wealth. And here's a story. Luke chapter 18, a certain ruler asked him. This is a man of standing in the community, a leader in the community. And he goes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You speak of eternal life. You speak of the afterlife. You speak of life everlasting. You speak of the resurrection, all of these things. What must I do to get it? Very direct question. And Jesus answers, why do you call me good? As if to say, do you know who you're talking to? No one is good except God alone, right? And you're asking me this question? You know the commandments, don't you? 
you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. This is the big ten. This is Moses. You know this, don't you? You, do, do you follow this? And the man's answer is quite impressive. He says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, just pause there for a second. Um, if Jesus asked you that question directly, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. Have you kept all those? If it was Jesus who was asking you face to face, would you answer that way? Oh, yes, I've kept them all since I was a boy. That's not the way I would answer. (laughs) I would answer, I think I've broken them all. Forgive me. Since I was a boy, probably I've broken them all. I don't know, but there's no way I've kept all those commandments. I've probably broken all of them in some way, shape, or form, some thought, some impulse. But he says, I've kept all of these since I was a boy. This is a man of standing. This is a leader in the community. And this is a man confident enough to say that he has followed the Ten Commandments, the law. And he's done so since he was a child. Impressive. If anybody should inherit eternal life, shouldn't it be him after this conversation? Well, Jesus hears this and he answers back to the man. You still lack one thing. If I were the man, I would say, well, tell me, tell me what it is, because I've done everything right. So you, you've got me intrigued. Tell me what is that one thing? And here's what Jesus says, knowing obviously the man's life. He says, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Well, the man's reaction shows what's going on in his heart. When he heard this, he became very sad. His countenance changes. He changes from a confident, righteous man in his presentation to Jesus, and his countenance goes sad. Why? Because, indeed, he was very wealthy. Now, no condemnation of wealth here. But Jesus is putting his finger on the one thing that's keeping him back from inheriting eternal life. And uh, the man, he can't do it, apparently. He, he, he's frustrated by this. He's saddened by this. And Jesus looked at him and he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Not impossible, but hard. It's difficult. It's a warning indeed. And here's an illustration for you. It is easier for a camel. Imagine a camel. If you've ever seen a camel up close or you've ever ridden on a camel, I have one time. They are large animals. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Wow. Than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Wow, not impossible, but very, very difficult because something happens to that person when they're wealthy and they've got to be on their guard against that. And the people who are around, they hear this and they say, well, who then can be saved? And the answer from Jesus, what is impossible with man is possible with God. 
And they answer, we have left all we had to follow you. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. What's he saying? Is he saying that, well, you know, if you're wealthy, you've got to sell everything you have and give to the poor. And then you can be a Christian. But if you ha- if you're wealthy, you, you, you're in trouble. You're not, gonna, you're not going to be saved. You're not going to go to heaven. You're in trouble because Jesus is against you because you have wealth. Nope. What he's doing is in this person's life, in this person's case, Jesus knew that that thing is an idol in his life. And if he can give that up and if he can surrender that, then he has surrendered that God. Remember, you can't, it's money or God. The two are in competition with one another, and one of them is going to take the throne, but they can't compete successfully with one another. And so for this man, this is the challenge. You may be wealthy on the other end of this camera. That doesn't necessarily mean that God is telling you that you've got to give up your wealth and surrender all that you have and give to the poor and, you know, maybe join a monastery or something. He's not necessarily saying that to you. He may, but in this case is very, very specific to this person because this was his problem. But notice again, it's not a condemnation of wealth. It's a warning. So between these two stories, Zacchaeus on the one hand, the rich tax collector, and this young leader who's also rich, and the two different things we learn, and Matthew, uh, and what Matthew tells us that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me give you a really simple application for the 21st century from all of this, but especially from Matthew chapter 6. Okay, first and foremost, all right, observe your spending. So Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question is, well, where's your spending? (laughs) What do you spend your money on? And most people today, uh, if you were to ask that question, they probably can't answer. Um, The average household debt for uh, a Canadian, if you go between the age of 18 and the age of 65, because it varies from each age bracket, is just over $20,000 in consumer debt. The 45 to 55-year-old bracket, I think, is the highest. It's like over $30,000 in consumer debt. That's, that's not uh, uh, property. That's not mortgages. That's just flat-out consumer debt, credit card debt, lines of credit, that kind of thing. That's high. If you were to ask the average person, What do you spend your money on? Most people these days would say, I'm not 100% sure. So one thing that you can do if you really want to take this text seriously from Matthew 6 and take what Jesus said seriously about money, just observe where you spend your money. Just go through a month, two months. It'll probably take you, if I'm being honest, probably take you two to three months to get a good handle on where you're actually spending your money. So you look at every receipt, you look at every transaction, you look at everything and you say, okay, I'm spending this on this, this on this, this on this. You will be shocked in most cases. You'll look and you'll say, I can't believe I spend so much money on 
fill in the blanks. I can't believe I have two insurance policies. I'm paying for the exact same thing with two different companies, and it's a duplicate. I'm wasting my money. I can't believe how much money I spend on fill in the blanks, coffee. The amount of, I spend hundreds of dollars, for some of you that's true, on coffee, on eating out, on entertainment, on streaming television services and channels, on gadgets and electronics, on cars, on who knows what. But when you look at it and you see this is what I spend my money on, there you're going to see where your heart is. There you're going to see what's important to you, even if you don't realize it's important to you. It obviously is because that's where you're spending all of your money. So do a little self-examination and observe where you're spending. Remember the little video on investment that we looked at, done obviously in a humorous fashion, tongue-in-cheek there. But there's some truth to that, right? So uh, it, there's nothing wrong with investing in something that's going to give you monetary gains. There's nothing wrong with that. But the question is, are you, are you prioritizing things that make a difference for eternity? So the man in the video, he's talking about people. He's talking about uh, spending time with and maybe spending money on organizations and people to make a difference in people's lives. He's not so concerned with making money, doesn't condemn money in the little video, but he's not so concerned with it. He's concerned with people. And this is what Jesus is trying to, to teach. You know, you can, you can buy that car, and as soon as you take that car off of the lot, the car starts to depreciate in value. As soon as you take that car off of the lot, that car starts to what? Rust. As soon as you, you accumulate all these things, you better watch out. You better have a good alarm system because the thief is coming. And the thief is going to, they're going to steal from you when you least expect it. I remember the experience we had when we were robbed quite a number of years ago. Right here in the, in the you know, the nice, safe suburbia, right? And we came home uh, one Sunday afternoon from church, and the door was, was uh, the lock had been picked, and the thief had come, and the thief had ransacked the house looking for things. They didn't, didn't find much. Uh, they found a little bit, but not very much at all. But that's, that's part of reality. Uh, you, you should talk to our missionaries, the Charbonneaux in, in Port-au-Prince in Haiti. Robbery there is commonplace, very, very common there. Uh, people will steal a, a lamppost if it is not riveted into the ground. I mean, it is extremely common in, in that country. And extremely common in a general sense. We look at we look at uh, theft is on the rise now. We see reports out of the United States and the pandemic and so on, and the theft is on the rise. It's part of life. But Jesus says, you spend money on all of this materialism. What about spending money on something that's going to last for eternity? What about people? What about an organization that makes a difference in the lives of people? I'm not shy to say it, folks. Like, I believe that the church is a is a worthy investment for people. When people give to their local church, they're giving to the one body 
and around the world. They're giving to their one body that is the steward of the message of the gospel of Jesus. And that has eternal, eternal consequences. And uh, you, you say, well, pastor, are you going to talk about tithing and you're going to talk about all this? Well, not really. I mean, Jesus spent very, very little time. Do you realize that? Lecturing people about tithing. He talks about it in one place. Um, it, there's people who say, look, we, we tithe all of our stuff and all of our mint and everything. And look how great and how righteous we are. And Jesus says, well, th- that's, that's good, but that's easy. You should do that. But you should do harder things like practice justice and love and mercy with people. So don't neglect your tithing thing, but you should practice the more weightier measures of the law. As if to say, well, that's easy. That's elementary. He doesn't waste time and burn time lecturing to people about tithing. You say, what? Jesus didn't didn't do that? No, he's not against it, obviously. And I will say to you boldly, like, uh, I'm a tither. I'm the pastor of the church, and I tithe. Is it hard? Sure it is. Does it sting a little bit? Sure it does. But that's a, that's a basic discipline that we see from people way back, even in the book of Genesis, even before the law of Moses is written. It talks about tithing and all of that. We see people practice that self-discipline in the book of Genesis, all right? Even this church tithes to our own district. So we take a tenth of anything that is given that's not given to missions or something specific, and we tithe that to our own district because it's got to run. We're here in the building that the district of Quebec is also in, and we have a relationship with their district because they're, our district because they're doing something that is eternal in its consequence, you see. And so what, what are you doing? Where are you prioritizing your spending? Once you see what you're spending it on, you might look and you might say, wow, I'm not so sure I really like the way that I'm spending my money. I've observed how I've spent it. And now I want to shift things around and I want to prioritize things that are going to make a difference in people's lives, whatever those things may be. And number three, really, really easy. Well, now that you know what you're spending your money on and now you know where you want to spend your money, budget. So a budget means you have a plan. You say, well, this is what I know is coming in, and this is where it's going to go. And you say, I've got everything looked after. I've got, there's no stone unturned. I've budgeted for savings. I've budgeted for emergencies. I've budgeted for investments. I've budgeted for all of these things, and now I feel a lot less guilty, and now I feel a lot more comfortable with where I'm going to spend the resources that God has given to me. Because all of what you have, folks, it's all on loan. It's all on loan to us from God. The the day that you leave this world, we talked about the afterlife last week. The day that you leave this world is the day that all of that is gone from your life. All of it. You may leave uh, some behind uh, for your loved ones. You may leave some behind for a given charity. I've seen people who give to charity from beyond the grave. It is powerful. I've seen people tithe to their local church from beyond the grave for years. Wow. Enormous amounts of resources. It's powerful when people do that. But have a budget where every little last thing that you're going to spend your money on, you have a map. 
And it's not guesswork because you've done number one. You've seen where you spend your money. You've done number two. You say, well, I don't want to spend my money there anymore. I want to shift things, and I want to start making a difference with what I have. And number three, here's the plan. This is the way that I'm going to do it. Really basic stuff, right? Because everything, everything in life has a relationship with money. Where your treasure is there your heart will be also. So I'm just going to finish up today by praying with you. And I'd ask the band if they'd head to the, uh, the, the stage area there. And you guys can go ahead and play uh, at the end. And you can close us out with whatever you want to do. Uh, but I want to pray for us before we finish. It's a very, very uh, important, critical subject. And it's tough for people. Uh, people step into churches and they feel like, oh, there's going to be so much guilt that's put upon me when this is talked about. And I don't think that's Jesus's intention uh, to guilt people into changing the way that they spend their money. Uh, but he wants you to to see where your heart is. And he wants you to know that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So where are our hearts today? Uh, Father, we come to you, and we're so thankful, Lord, that you you tell it to us straight. You tell it to us, uh, tell it to us as it is, and uh, and God is so clear and so uh, understandable. So I pray for each person on the other side of this camera, young people, uh, uh, seniors, people who are out there working so hard in the in the workforce, people who have no clue where they're even spending their money, just racing, 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 trying to make ends meet, trying to run the house, trying to run the family, and just barely have time to breathe, to understand and to evaluate these things and to look at the big picture. But I pray, oh God, that you would help us um, just to just to pause and to uh, to reflect, to reprioritize if we need to. For some of us, this is this is brand new, and we we're, we're just used to everything that comes in just goes. Uh, but Lord, I pray you would help us to to honor you in every area of our lives, including with the money and the finances and the resources that you have given to us. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen.
Bless you, everyone. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday today.